Hi, my name is Vanessa Tanner. I'm from Tennessee, and the Death Investigation Training Academy has been instrumental in becoming a medical legal death investigator. Three six one seven response report of shots fired. The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians, and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management, bringing real stories and solid training together in one source. Now, here's your host, Darren Dake. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk. I am so happy that you've joined again another week. Hey, listen, if I think I might have said this maybe a time or two this year already, but I want to say it one more time. If you have not left a rating and a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Undercast, Overcast, Podcast Catcher, whatever you use, please go out and do that because it does help others come in behind to find the show and then decide if they want to jump in and join the community and start listening to the shows and the training and things like that. So it does help. It's like an Amazon review. You go to buy something on Amazon, you look, you say, well, what did other people say about it before I buy it myself? So that's what those reviews are helpful for. So today's show, again, we are uh, continuing on our theme for February on investigating infant and child death. And today we're going to be talking about evidence in infant and child death. The evidence you collect in an infant death is quite a bit different than evidence you collect in an adult death, of course, because there's different things that you would want to collect. You know, we may not want the person's last meal if it's an adult, unless we think it's a poisoning or an allergic reaction or something like that. But in an infant death, we generally always want to know what they ate last, collect the bottles or the baby food jars and and things like that. So it's very much different. And so today we're going to uh, explore that. And the way I'm going to do that is I've taken an excerpt from our online training course. It's I think it's a four and a half hours worth of um, training on infant and child death. And I take a portion of that that talks about evidence and I play that for you here today. So it's good information. It's it's part of the course. And so you get th- that information there. But I've taken a section of it here. Number one, it covers what the topic is today, but also gives you a little indication of what some of our online training is like. And not only the infant and child death training, there's 20 some courses in our online academy. And then, of course, you have the full 40-hour online academy, which will start in March. And that's the Medical Legal Certified Investigator course, the online academy. That starts in March. And while I've just kind of segued into that, let me tell you what else is happening in March. The first part of March, which is only a couple weeks away, we have our Detecting Deception and Analyzing Written Statements course. Then, of course, March 14th, we have the online academy session starting. We also have the Advanced Homicide course in Texarkana. We have here in Missouri at our academy, the Medical Legal Death Investigation Level 1 course. It's a four-day course attended by uh, every year. We have it twice a year. It's attended every session by people all across the country. It is a great course. It is starting to fill. We have limited capacity because of what we do. So if you want to be involved in that course, 
Again, it's an extremely good course, great instructors, multiple instructors, four-day course here. Go to the website. In fact, if you go to the cornertalk.com on this session, on this episode, you can look on the right-hand sidebar. There's a icon there for the Medical Legal Death Investigation Level 1 course. Click on that, and it'll take you to where you can register and find out more information. And then, of course, at the end of March, 1st of April, uh, April 1, 2, and 3, we, I will be in Southern California teaching the Medical Legal Death Investigation course, a three-day course. Lots and lots of stuff going on this spring. So if you want some training, be it online training or classroom training, we're offering all we can here through the Academy. And as I always say, remember, if you want me to come to you, whether it be your annual conference or you just want to host a three-day medical legal death investigation class, I will be glad to come to you. We can work out the details and I can make that happen. Just give us a room to host a training in, audio, video, things like that. And uh, we'll make the rest of it happen. And you can have some free spots to have your people go through it. So you don't have to send your people to training. All you have to do is give us a meeting room that'll hold 15, 20 people. So you reach out to me through cornertalk.com, through the academy site, whatever. Ask me about that. Let's get that conversation started. Okay, last thing I'll mention, remember throughout the month of February, the Proper Death Notification Procedures online course is only $10. That's what the theme was in January. And so this month, that course is only $10. Just go to the Academy link. You can go to cornertalk.com, click on online learning, find the proper death notification, and you can enter the discount code at checkout and get that for only $10. And remember, this is not being advertised in email. It's not being advertised on Facebook or or Twitter. This is only for you listening to the show. And it's only good through the month of February 2020. And when you go to the academy, the online academy, and you choose the proper death notification procedures class at checkout, enter the discount code, all lowercase, Death notification 10. Death notification and the letter and the number is one zero. So it's a death notification class you're getting for $10. So it's easy to remember death notification 10 as your coupon code. So if you're driving or running or whatever you're doing, what was that coupon code? Pretty simple. So that gets that course down to $10 for you. So it's a great course. Again, you got credits, CEU credits. You got to have credits anyway. So you might as well take that course and get another hour of CEU credits. So without any further delay, let me jump in to this today's topic on evidence in infant death. Again, this is a portion of the online course investigating infant and child death. So there's a little bit of an intro that's that's done in and kind of a live scene section. And then I go into where we're actually looking at PowerPoints and pictures and things like that. So you'll hear some audio change and stuff, but because we try to make some of these courses as realistic location possible on some of them. So you'll hear the audio change and you'll hear that it's actually kind of to an open room because there were some people there taking the course as we recorded it as well. So you'll get kind of that ambiance of that. So let me jump into that and I'll see you on the other side. Adjust your earbuds, turn up those speakers, and hang on. It's now time for this week's featured conversation. So now we come to the part of the lesson where we want to talk about collecting evidence in an infant and child death. 
You know, as I stated earlier in the course, infants live and die differently than adults. So obviously the evidence that we may collect at an infant death is going to be different than that of an adult. Some very important things to keep in mind is, for instance, any baby bottles that you might see at the scene, whether they be in the crib, in the same room, in the kitchen, anything that's been being used um, to feed the baby needs to be collected, even if it looks like it's a few days old. Even things like dirty clothes and bed sheets may need to be collected because what has been put on that, what maybe the baby had vomited or had some type of blood or, or something on the, on the clothes, you need to collect that. Anything you see in, on, or around the scene or the baby uh, needs collected. Even so, check in trash cans for dirty diapers. In a minute, I'm going to talk about each one of these, okay? But dirty diapers, bottles, baby food, clothing, all of those things need to be collected at an infant death scene because all of those things are potential evidence. And I'll explain to you why each one of those can be evidence as we go into the classroom now. And let's continue on with finding, locating, and documenting evidence in an infant death. All right, now thank you for joining me back in the classroom here. Uh, so I want to continue on with this thought of identifying and collecting evidence, how to properly document the evidence, how to properly bag and store the evidence, and then this idea of chain of custody. So let me slide out of the way here. I'll bring up a PowerPoint presentation, and we'll go through this step by step. Okay, evidence in an infant and uh, child death case uh, is many times, of course, very different than in an, an adult case or with an older child case. I mentioned that a while ago in the intro. You know, these deaths occur differently because the children live differently. And so obviously the evidence that you're going to collect is going to be different evidence. But remember this, if you think it might be evidence or you think it's something that could lead you to determining the reason for the death, then take it. You can always give it back later. Take it now, document it, secure it, and then give it back at another time. We want to first make sure we identify, though, the difference between personal property, and evidence. Uh, now, personal property, of course, is property that is on, near, or around the baby that belongs to the baby or the child that can be returned to the next of kin. So you uh, might have toys. Uh, you might even have baby bottles and pacifiers, things like that, that eventually you'll return to the next of kin if they're not needed in the case and the next of kin wants them back. That's uh, maybe it's blankets, maybe it's Betty, maybe it's things that you've taken thinking you might need it, but then uh, at the end, you do not need it. That is personal property. Evidence, however, is any material object or thing that may contribute to the case and help you determine cause and manner of death. This is something that is considered important in the supporting facts of the case. So if it's a poisoning case, then baby bottles, diapers, things like that are very important. Yeah, that would be evidence in the poisoning case. Let's say it's a uh, asphyxiation case. So maybe the blankets and the bedding in the bed, that is the evidence of the supporting facts of the case. That is what evidence is. What determines evidence depends on the type and manner of the death being investigated. Now, chain of custody is something that you must think about from the very beginning before you ever start collecting evidence. Every item secured at the scene whether it's a personal property or whether it's evidence to be processed, has to be accounted for. Otherwise, your, uh, your case is going to get destroyed and you're just stealing things from the family. So you have to document what you took. 
from the very moment you took it, it must be in your custody while it travels through your investigative agency and then on to the lab. So until such time that evidence is returned to family or destroyed because of a court order, you have to know where that evidence is at all times and who was the last person to sign for it. And now using a property log is the best way to ensure that every person handling the evidence signs for it and they can they can testify in court that yes, they did receive it from the last person and then they turned it over to wherever, it was tested, whatever. There is a trail of evidence because what happens. If there is a lack of the chain of this chain of custody and there's an amount of time where no one can account for the evidence, then obviously if this is the case, it's going to be a criminal prosecution that the, the defense can then say, of course, the evidence must have been tampered with because here we have an amount of time where no one can testify to the uh, credibility of the evidence. So when it comes to this thing about identifying evidence, here are some pictures of some evidence that you'll collect at a, at a baby death. Uh, furniture, bottles, diapers, food, medicine, clothing. But let's go into these one at a time and let me kind of give you some ideas of things to collect and why collect them. So bedding, bedding and the sleeping area, maybe even the bed, maybe the furniture, maybe the crib itself, maybe the playpen, maybe it's going to be a pumpkin seed or something like that that you'll want to collect. All of that is evidence uh, that you might have to collect. In bedding, whether uh, the regardless of what the reason of the death could be, you might want the bedding because there could be purge fluid, there might be vomit, there might be something on the bedding that will help you determine that. It might be an asphyxiation case, and you're going to need the bedding there as, as well. Any over-the-counter or prescription medication that the caregiver has admitted to giving the baby, or any medication that you see around the baby. Maybe the baby's room, maybe the baby sleeps in mom and dad's room, but there's medication on the bedstand. Maybe it was for mom and dad, maybe it was for the baby. But if it can be determined that it was in or around the baby, that medication needs to be photographed, documented, and seized because it could be attributable to the death. Baby bottles. Now, those with milk in them, those that are in the sink, those that are on the floor, the nightstands, the coffee tables, any baby bottles that you see that looks like, you know, if they're clean, sterilized, up in the cabinet, that's different. But if they've got formula in them, then you need to collect those bottles and, and uh, store them properly. Baby food, uh, baby food jars, uh, cereal that's mixed in with the formulas, uh, things like that needs to be taken. Diapers, uh, you need the diapers because of toxicology testing. You come back later on uh, with, with toxicology after, after the pathology and the toxicology is done and you find out that the baby has been poisoned or somehow there's a lethal uh, doses of something in the baby's system, the diapers can give you a time frame of how long uh, the baby has been exposed to this. Maybe it was acute exposure or maybe it had been going on for... Adjust your earbuds, turn up those speakers and hang on. It's now time for this week's featured conversation. So now we come to the part of the lesson where we want to talk about collecting evidence in an infant and child death. You know, as I stated earlier in the course, infants live and die differently than adults. So obviously the evidence that we may collect at an infant death is going to be different than that of an adult. Some very important things to keep in mind is, for instance, any baby bottles that you might see at the scene. 
whether they be in the crib, in the same room, in the kitchen, anything that's been being used um, to feed the baby needs to be collected, even if it looks like it's a few days old. Even things like dirty clothes and bed sheets may need to be collected because what has been put on that, what maybe the baby had vomited or had some type of blood or, or something on the, on the clothes, you need to collect that. Anything you see in, on, or around the scene or the baby uh, needs collected. Even so, check in trash cans for dirty diapers. In a minute, I'm going to talk about each one of these, okay? But dirty diapers, bottles, baby food, clothing, all of those things need to be collected at an infant death scene because all of those things are potential evidence. And I'll explain to you why each one of those can be evidence as we go into the classroom now. And let's continue on with finding, locating, and documenting evidence in an infant death. All right, now thank you for joining me back in the classroom here. Uh, so I want to continue on with this thought of identifying and collecting evidence, how to properly document the evidence, how to properly bag and store the evidence, and then this idea of chain of custody. So let me slide out of the way here. I'll bring up a PowerPoint presentation, and we'll go through this step by step. Okay, evidence in an infant and uh, child death case uh, is many times, of course, very different than in a, an adult case or with an older child case. I mentioned that while ago in the intro. You know, these deaths occur differently because the children live differently. And so, obviously, the evidence that you're going to collect is going to be different evidence. But remember this. If you think it might be evidence or you think it's something that could lead you to determining the reason for the death, then take it. You can always give it back later. Take it now, document it, secure it, and then give it back at another time. We want to first make sure we identify, though, the difference between personal property, and evidence. Uh, now, personal property, of course, is property that is on, near, or around the baby that belongs to the baby or the child that can be returned to the next of kin. So you uh, might have toys. Uh, you might even have baby bottles and pacifiers, things like that, that eventually you'll return to the next of kin if they're not needed in the case and the next of kin wants them back. That's uh, maybe it's blankets, maybe it's Betty, maybe it's things that you've taken thinking you might need it, but then uh, at the end, you do not need it. That is personal property. Evidence, however, is any material object or thing that may contribute to the case and help you determine cause and manner of death. This is something that is considered important in the supporting facts of the case. So if it's a poisoning case, then baby bottles, diapers, things like that are very important. Yeah, that would be evidence in the poisoning case. Let's say it's a uh, asphyxiation case. So maybe the blankets and the bedding in the bed, that is the evidence of the supporting facts of the case. That is what evidence is. What determines evidence depends on the type and manner of the death being investigated. Now, chain of custody is something that you must think about from the very beginning before you ever start collecting evidence. Every item secured at the scene whether it's a personal property or whether it's evidence to be processed, has to be accounted for. Otherwise, your, uh, your case is going to get destroyed and you're just stealing things from the family. So you have to document what you took. And from the very moment you took it, it must be in your custody while it travels through your investigative agency and then on to the lab. So until such time that the evidence is returned to family or destroyed because of a court order, you have to know where that evidence is at all times and who was the last person to sign for it. 
And now using a property log is the best way to ensure that every person handling the evidence signs for it and they can they can testify in court that, yes, they did receive it from the last person and then they turned it over to wherever it was tested, whatever. There is a trail of evidence because what happens if there is a lack of the chain of this chain of custody and there's an amount of time where no one can account for the evidence, then obviously. If this is the case, it's going to be a criminal prosecution that the defense can then say, of course, the evidence must have been tampered with because here we have an amount of time where no one can testify to the uh, credibility of the evidence. So when it comes to this thing about identifying evidence, here are some pictures of some evidence that you'll collect at a, at a baby death. Uh, furniture, bottles, diapers, food, medicine, clothing. But let's go into these one at a time and let me kind of give you some ideas of things to collect and why collect them. So bedding, bedding and the sleeping area, maybe even the bed, maybe the furniture, maybe the crib itself, maybe the playpen, maybe it's going to be a pumpkin seat or something like that that you'll want to collect. All of that is evidence uh, that you might have to collect in bedding, whether uh, the regardless of what the reason of the death could be. You might want the bedding because there could be purge fluid. There might be vomit. There might be something on the bedding that will help you determine it. It might be an asphyxiation case, and you're going to need the bedding there as, as well. Any over-the-counter or prescription medication that the caregiver has admitted to giving the baby or any medication that you see around the baby. Maybe the baby's room. Maybe the baby sleeps in mom and dad's room, but there's medication on the bedstand. Maybe it was for mom and dad. Maybe it was for the baby. But if it can be determined that it was in or around the baby, that medication needs to be photographed, documented, and seized because it could be attributable to the death. Baby bottles. Now, those with milk in them, those that are in the sink, those that are on the floor, the nightstands, the coffee tables, any baby bottles that you see that looks like, and now if they're clean, sterilized, and up in the cabinet, that's different. But if they've got formula in them, then you need to collect those bottles and, and uh, store them properly. Baby food, uh, baby food jars, uh, cereal that's mixed in with the formulas, uh, things like that needs to be taken. Diapers, uh, you need the diapers because of toxicology testing. You come back later on uh, with toxicology after, after the pathology and the toxicology is done, and you find out that the baby has been poisoned or somehow there's a lethal uh, doses of something in the baby's system, the diapers can give you a time frame of how long uh, the baby has been exposed to this. Maybe it was acute exposure or maybe it had been going on for several days. So diapers can help you with that. And diapers have uh, the uh, material in there to collect and store fluids. And so you're, you're going to have that urine secured inside those diapers. You know, clothing. Uh, you know, recent clothing, clothing that, that maybe the mother just took off the child or maybe clothing from from the night before the baby vomited. Mom cleaned up the baby clothing from two or three days ago. What's laying on the floor? What's laying in the hamper? Uh, sometimes mothers just take stuff off and throw in the laundry room. What are some clothing that, that you can find that the baby has wore in the last few days? You'll want to collect those. Any items that look like weapons. If you see marks on the baby, bruises on the baby. That uh, or child, and you see something lying near in the room or near in the house that could have made that mark, go ahead and collect that. Anything that looks like it could be involved in the case or could help you in any way whatsoever determine 
the, the cause for this baby's death, seize it. You can always give it back. But what you cannot do is go a few days later and collect it and have the same uh, integrity, the same credibility in the evidence as it would have been if you took it the day of the initial investigation. And then, of course, the most important piece of evidence in any child death is the child. It's the body. A lot of evidence can be found in, on, and around the body itself. Now, we've talked about the, the body exam already, looking at marks and scars and uh, uh, bruises, things like that. That's evidence on the body. But also, the body contains the pathology findings. It will contain toxicology findings. So that body, because you're working in infant death, that dead infant is a piece of evidence. Now, I'm not trying to take the human side out of it. What I'm saying is you've got to understand that that is evidence. So you need to properly document the scene, document the body, photograph the body, do your exam, everything that I just said, make sure the clothing is stored, things like that. We covered that in the exam video. And then you need to package the body up in such a way that it can be transported to the pathologist as evidence. Place it into a body bag. Make sure the bag is secured. Uh, use a, a zipper lock or, with a chronological number. Uh, that way, when the pathology lab gets it, they can open it up and say, yes, this was intact. Uh, things like that. Because again, if this turns to a criminal proceeding, you're going to want to ensure that that body was secured when it left you and it was not tampered with or opened until it arrived uh, for autopsy. Again, the body is evidence and it's probably or not probably it is the most important piece of evidence in any case. You can find a bottle with uh, 180 grain alcohol in the bottle. But unless you have a body to prove that there's toxicology levels in the body showing that that baby uh, has that alcohol in its system, just because there's a baby bottle with alcohol in it doesn't mean the baby took it. You have to have the body and the toxicology of the body to be able to tie it to the bottle that you found. So the body is the most important piece of evidence. So when it comes to collecting the evidence, photograph everything first. Make sure you do overall scene shots, uh, going into every corner of the room, focusing in, go to the center of the room, focus out to every corner, uh, take close-up shots of anything that you think is important. If you find a piece of evidence or something you want to take, photograph it in place and then uh, package it from there. Be sure you have photographed and documented uh, everything in your notes. Uh, not only do you want to, to take a picture of it, you want to denote in your notes where you found it, maybe in a sketch, something like that. Uh, the placement is very critical in your final report. Uh, make sure that you, in chronological order, state what you found, where you found, things like that. Um, if the items have been moved by the police, EMS, or family, then document the place where you found them. Maybe the EMS have pulled all the blankets and stuff out of the bed, threw them on the floor, and started working the baby. That's fine. Take a picture of the blankets and, and the pillows on the floor. Document that EMS moved it. Maybe the police got there and uh, discovered the baby in the bed was not breathing. The, the police picked the baby up, took it in, was working CPR, laid it on the couch when the ambulance got there. The ambulance never worked the case. Again, you don't no need to take the baby, which is evidence, back to the crib. Take a picture of the baby on the couch, but then document that the police moved it. It's very common for these things to happen. You just have to document where it's at when you found it and what that person says about what they moved. Maybe the mother took the clothes off the baby because she found the baby unresponsive, but it had vomit on its outfit. 
So she took the clothes off the baby, and when you find the baby, it is just in a diaper. Well, mom removed the clothing. It's okay, don't put the clothes back on the baby. Just take a photograph of where it's at and document the change. Every item and material of evidence collected must be identified, collected, and stored properly. There is a proper way to do this. Now, I'm going to cover an overview of this right today, uh, but when it comes to evidence, uh, you might want to explore a class on specific and detailed evidence collection and storage, but I am going to give you an overview of the best methods. Different evidence obviously requires different containers, okay? And it's important to store them and transport them properly. You know, we know anything that is that is wet, uh, that could degrade or mold, should not be put in plastic. Uh, most everything should be put in pla- uh, cardboard or paper. Uh, there are a few things that be put in plastic. Uh, I say very few things, but there are some things that, that where moisture might not hurt, condensation might not build up. But for the most part, paper and or cardboard is the best. By not doing so, you can cause contamination. If you package too many things, first off, everything should be packaged in its own container so that you don't have cross-contamination. Don't don't put uh, clothing from inside the crib, okay, in one bag, and then clothing that you found in the laundry room down the hall in the same bag. That is different. Um, If you have bottles in the bedroom, bag those or, or collect those differently than bottles in the kitchen. If you have bedding, if let's say you have a bed sheet on the bed with blood on it, then you need to package that, but don't package it with anything else because you can cross-contaminate things and you'll you'll mess up your case. Uh, paper bags are cheap. Document where you put them. Uh, put them in their in their on their own safe containers. And again, a lot of different containers you can use. Just make sure it's an appropriate container, and then make sure that it is, is sealed correctly, labeled correctly and so that you uh, can maintain chain of custody. Now, if you have something that is wet, uh, like vomit or blood or something like that that is on it, you can collect it into a paper sack, and then immediately when you get back uh, to your agency, uh, there's a way to take that out and dry it. There are drying tanks. Uh, A lot of smaller agencies will take uh, butcher paper. They'll peel off butcher paper, uh, literally the white paper that butchers use. They can lay it down on on the floor, hang up the clothing or the bedding or something above that, and then let it air dry. Uh, That way, if anything would fall off the clothing, it would fall on that butcher paper and can be collected. Once that wet item has dried, then you can take it down, lay it on the butcher paper, and then fold the butcher paper in, and then store it back into the uh, paper bag and transport it to the lab or whatever you're going to do. But that way, the item is dried, and you've prevented any evidence from falling off getting lost because, of course, it would be collected in the butcher paper. But the key factors in collecting evidence are chain of custody, proper packaging, and proper documentation in your report. Again, let me, let me say that again. Chain of custody, proper packaging, and proper documentation in your report are the big three things you have to watch out for and know when it comes to collecting evidence in any case. Let's talk for a minute about the low-card exchange principle. Every contact leaves a trace is what this principle says. Most of you will know what that means, but let me briefly explain it. If you walk into a room, you have brought trace evidence with you, whether it be hair, fibers, carpet fibers, DNA, um, you have brought evidence into that room. When you leave, you most likely have taken evidence with you. Maybe carpet fibers have stuck to your boot. Maybe the hair of the suspect has stuck to your boot. But every exchange, every touch, 
leaves evidence and takes evidence with it. Sometimes in a gross manner, sometimes in a very microscopic manner. But you need you need to keep this in mind when you're investigating these scenes so that you are protected from uh, transferring this evidence. Now, let's say we have a uh, a scene where uh, the the only it's a murder scene and there's blood and the only drop of blood leading out of the house uh, that the victim I'm sorry that the suspect dropped his own blood one drop a paramedic comes in kneels down to check the victim uh, the knee of his pants absorbs up the one drop of blood from the suspect he then gets up leaves the house because there's nothing he can do and the only suspect blood is on his pants that is the every contact leaves a trace problem because you if you don't know that the, that blood of the suspect is on that paramedic's pants you've lost it forever so can we always prevent that not always but understand that that the more people you have in a scene the more people you have walking around touching the body touching the evidence the more exchange of this principle you're going to have and they can take evidence with them and they can leave evidence uh, what you don't want of course happens in a lot of cases where you find a good fingerprint and you realize the fingerprint lab comes back and says, yeah, that belongs to Sergeant Jones. Well, now, was Sergeant Jones our burglar? Because now we have to verify where Sergeant Jones was. Could he have committed the crime? Because we have to rule him out. And so, turns out, he was not there. He did not commit the crime, but it slowed things down. Why? Because he was in there touching things he shouldn't touch, and now you find it, and you uh, it's identified as him. So, again, that's an idea of every trace every contact leaves a trace limit and minimize who can be in and around your scene and of course lastly i want to talk about this triangle approach to a scene investigation three elements of a of a baby death scene body scene witness and history the body of course we've talked about that the scene could be multiple maybe the baby was found in the bottom of a swimming pool and is now lying in the on the couch. Maybe the baby was found in a bed and is now at the hospital. Maybe the fa- the, the the child was last seen lying on the couch asleep. And when mom found the baby, she rushed it to her car and started to the hospital. But then was stopped by the police. The baby is dead, and now you're three miles away from home on the side of the road. There could be multiple scenes, okay? Especially in babies, because babies are often moved from their original location. Then you've got witness and history. I put those together because this is all about communication. You got the witness of either the caregiver, maybe the neighbor, maybe a school teacher, depending on your case and the age of the child. But you also have history that, again, that goes towards information of the child. If it's an infant, you might have to know about we want birth weight and gestation and, and whether the child has been recently sick and things like that. If it's an older child... Uh, where has a child been? Has he been playing in the park? Has he been in contact with other children? Uh, this is all part of information you're going to gather. So again, as a triangle approach, the body, the scene, and then witness and history, those all three come together. And you cannot investigate correctly and leave one of those out. They all have to work together to come up with a proper conclusion. So that's a quick overview of, uh, of collecting evidence and documented evidence in a child death case. All right, I'm back with you live, I guess kind of live, more live than what you just listened to. So I hope you enjoyed that. Again, great information. This, that's all our theme is this month is investigating infant and child death. You've had two, now three great weeks of training on that topic. Remember, 
If you want the death notification class, death notification 10 is a coupon code. You can get that for $10. If anything I can do for you, please, please, please reach out and ask. I'll help you in whatever way I can. If it's just a question or advice, if you want some training, whatever I can do, myself, the other instructors that work with our academy, we are here for one purpose, and that is to help you. So let us know what we can do and what I can do specifically and I will jump in and do my best for you. And remember, that is one way I try to bless you is to do everything I can to help. And you then should turn around and figure out how you can bless the people around you. In every way, every day, find a way to be a blessing. And until next week, everybody, I want you back. I want you safe. See ya. Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk, a DSPN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com. And be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coroner training. 3617-1024C on route to morgue.